You're listening to the Poema Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to see God in a real way. For more information about Poema Church, visit poemachurch.ca. Enjoy the message. Well, this Thanksgiving is just a few weeks away. How many know we're all going to be gathering around a table? But for some of you, you might be sitting at the kids' table. I remember one time when my father was invited to speak at a minister's house, and after he had spoke on the Sunday, we went back to the minister's house, and there was a table prepared, and the food was all in the kitchen, and so we went to get our own plates. And as I got my plate a little earlier in the line, I went and I sat down at the table. But the minister's wife looked at me and she said, uh-uh, there is another table for you over there, as we all know it, the kids' table. But all I wanted at that time, I was hungry for the things of God, for the wisdom of God. And all I wanted in that moment was to sit and listen to the master at the table or the minister talk. But I couldn't imagine the feeling I got when I said they told me I couldn't sit at the table. That I had to sit over with the kids who were picking their nose. (laughs) But I just wanted to sit at the table and listen to the word. See, so often we people outside of the walls of the church feel the very same way. They want to come and sit at the table and hear what God has. But yet they feel like they're obligated to sit at the children's table. To sit away from everything else. They feel like they don't fit in. They feel like they might be rejected when they come in. They feel like they might not fit into the cliques and the groups and the different things that sometimes take place. But I'm here to tell you today that there is room at the table. It's so easy to sit at the table week in and week out. Some of you might have your own chair with your name on it. And you know that there will always be food when you come to sit at the table. As Pastor Rich said, today is not the ending of this series. Today is not a message. It is simply a responsibility. Sometimes we tend to lose sight of what people need because we already have it. We already have a seat at the table. And people are trying to sit down at the table. Can you remember back when you were, you know, needing a car? Everybody at some point needed a car and you didn't have one. You remember back that time? You were desperate for a car, weren't you? Desperate. God, I just need a car. You were praying. God, give me a car. Supernaturally, make it show up in my driveway. God, I need a car. You were praying. You were saving the best you could. You were looking online at all the websites. Man, I would love to have this car. And then somebody came over and said, you know, you don't really, you can't really afford a Lamborghini. It's Might be a little out of your price range. 
You were doing everything you could. Praying, believing, saving, looking at all the things when you did get your car that you wanted in your car. Even at some point, you might have borrowed somebody else's car. But then what happened, maybe like a week or two weeks or a month after you got your car? What happened? It started becoming a trash basket. I'm not being prophetic here. It started becoming a trash basket. You never washed it. You never cleaned it. In fact, the only time that you did wash it was the day you picked it up at the dealership. That was four years ago. You haven't washed it in months. It's a hot mess. You've never vacuumed it. In fact, there's so many crumbs on your floor that it looks like the beach. And then somebody, you know, in the beginning of when you got it, you were talking about it and you were given as many rides as you could. But then at some point, you just start talking about it like it's a curse again. Like, hey, you, know, you don't want to ride in here. It smells. It stinks. There's about 30 Big Mac boxes on my floor. I don't even know if you could put your feet down. See, what was once a desperation, what was once something that you greatly desired and that you pursued with everything you had inside of you became something that you were ashamed of. At one time, you were desperate for it, and it had value to it had value for you, to you. See, is this sometimes how we view Jesus? We were so desperate for him. So desperate for him. And then when our life turned around and when everything seemed to go the right way and we didn't seem to have that many problems anymore, we lost the value of the relationship. We lost the value of sitting at the table. And so when we started this Christian walk and when we started this life, there was a desperation. God, I cannot wake up. I cannot take a shower. I cannot eat without thanking you. And then we forgot the value of who he was in our lives. See, we tend to stop valuing the very thing that saved us to begin with. We forget that what he brought us through, and we so forget the importance of sitting at his table in the relationship. When we don't value something, it doesn't mean as much to us, and then we tend to stop talking about it or offering it as a suggestion to people. Just like your car, you were given as many rides as you can at first, and then as it got dirtier and dirtier and started smelling like a fish, you decided to not offer rides, to not talk about it, and in fact, to actually curse it in a sense that it was once a blessing and now you feel like it's a curse. But what you have, whether you value it or not, someone else needs. You say, well, Pastor Matt, like I got issues. I, don't, I, I can't share this. I'm just, I barely waking up in the morning. I don't know if I could share this. I don't know. If I have anything to say to somebody, I don't know if I have anything to give to somebody. I don't know. My issues are too great. We serve a God of an upside down kingdom. 
In other words, if you need something, in order to get that something, you must give something first. When you are in need, you must become the help or the answer for somebody else. You're going through it. What are you doing to help somebody else? Because the answer is going to come. Your situation is going to resolve. Your problem will be fixed. But what are you doing in the time? See, I pray. I pray that we lose. Let me word it another way. I pray that it becomes harder and harder and harder for us to walk by the very people who need what we have. And we've lost, to us, it's lost value. But to them, it might mean life or death. To them, it might mean the very thing that will save them, that will keep them another day on this earth. I'm talking about myself as well. This isn't, you must do this. This is me. I have to become better. I have to become the one that doesn't walk by people without offering them what we have been given. And there's been, as I've been studying for this message, there's been two numbers that have bothered me this whole week. And those numbers are 13 and 2. See, well, those are just numbers. They can't, what, 13 and 2. 13% of people in Hamilton only go to church once or twice a year. Out of 500 and however many, 545,555 only 13% of people step foot in a church twice a year, maybe once. You say, well, what is two? Well, there has been a study that has been shown that only 2% of Christians in all of North America have ever shared their faith. 2% of North Americans have ever shared their faith. That means for every 100 people in this room, only two of you have ever shared your faith with somebody else. It's a problem. So why has God given humanity the greatest gift that has ever been given and yet we don't share it? We don't talk about it. We talk about the new shoes that we got and we post them on Instagram and Instagram stories and then we repost the repost the repost. The food that we eat, we take pictures of it. The cars we buy, the places we live in, the places we go, we share it with ease. But when it comes to our faith, where is it? Where is it? God convicted me this week. He said, you got to share more on your Instagram. The things that are going on. He said, I don't care if people are all over the world and some of them go to church and some of them don't. He said, you need to share what God is doing in your life, what God is doing in your city, what God is doing in your church. So I'm not saying this just to you. This is for me. Whether you get this or not, this is for me this morning. We have the greatest thing that has ever been given to humanity but we keep it to ourselves. See, the Bible says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But sometime in the last 10 to 15 years in the church worldwide, we have become ashamed of the gospel. And so as our feeds are posted with the things and the whatever it is, we have forgotten the importance of the gospel. We have forgotten the importance of his presence. You got to realize in order for people to hear it, somebody has to speak it. It has to be given away. It has to be spoken. It has to be shared. You say, well, I just, I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't know enough about the spiritual truth. I don't know if I could debate somebody. You don't have to debate somebody. All you simply have to do is invite them to come see. Hey, I used to be this, but look who I am now. I'm a successful business owner. I didn't do that. God did that. Why don't you come see what God can do through you? Why don't you come see? See, if we only tend to show people what we do and how we live solely alone, then people will miss out on the potency of his presence. The potency of his presence. See, when you walked into this room today, his presence is here. There's a potency. There's a, a power to his presence. See, there's a big difference between smelling gasoline and putting it in your car. One of them has power. The other one just gets you high. It gives you a little feeling. There's a potency to his presence. We need to stop letting people just smell the gasoline and start offering to put it in the tank. Maybe you say, I, I, I don't have the confidence. I, I don't, you know, I, I just, I don't have the confidence to, to share. I don't have the, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mumbler. I'm a stutterer. I don't have the confidence to share what, I, I just can't, I can't do it. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. See, if the enemy can get you to be silent and not say anything, then he's won. Let me tell you something. I am that person. Sometimes I stutter when I'm talking to my wife. Sometimes I mumble when I'm talking to my wife. But when I open my mouth in the presence of the Lord, there is confidence and there is power. I'm the last person that should be standing on a stage. I'm never confident coming on stage. But when I'm confident in him and I open my, out, my mouth, he comes out. So the enemy wants you to not ever try to share. See, when you realize that when you open your mouth, that God is on your side. God has got you. That's the reason I stand on this stage. It's not because I'm confident as a person. I am not. But I am confident in who he is. And when I open my mouth and when I'm obedient to listen and speak to what he has, it's not me, it's God. So you must realize that when you open your mouth, God is on your side. 
The enemy's job is to try to convince you to never try. But let me tell you today, when you try and you open your mouth, you will get God's supply. You will get everything that you need. You will get the words that need to be spoken. You will get the confidence. You will get the boldness that needs to come out of your mouth. At that very moment, all you have to do is open your mouth and try. Because God is with you. We have to step out of our comfort zone. In John 1, 43 through 46, it says, The next day Jesus decided to leave Galilee, leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, What did he say to him? There wasn't another 30 pages of debate. He simply just said, follow me. Two words. Follow me. It was an invitation. It says Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Philip found Nathaniel and told him. So it went from an invitation to an invitation. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can any good come from there? Nathaniel asked. And then another invitation. Come and see. It was simply an invitation to come and see. Two invitations, follow me and come and see. Philip found Nathaniel, invited him. He said, come and see. Then we see later on that Andrew invited Peter. And if you know anything about the Bible, God built the New Testament church on who? Peter. It all started with an invite. It all started with a come and see or a follow me. There's power in your invite. Shelby, if you could put up that slide for me. And this is not a typo. Believe me. But there is something missing from this equation. There is something missing from this word. What is it? The church does not work without you. The church does not work without you. And we cannot forget that. That it takes each and every one of us to open our mouth to try and let him throw, flow through us to share what he's done in us because there's still room at the table. There's still room at the table. Going into Mark 2. Another story, and I love this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left. Not even outside the door. Overflow. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, 
he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. See, those four men knew the importance of bringing that man in front of Jesus. They knew the importance of his presence. You got to think, that man couldn't walk. So would he ever have made it into the presence if they didn't carry him? Are we willing to get involved in someone's life? Are we willing to get involved to the point of someone's life where we're willing to carry them to his presence? See, sometimes we might need to carry the weight of someone else so that they can get in his presence. So what's so interesting is the Bible doesn't talk about the weight of the man. It doesn't talk about the weight. He could have weighed 400 pounds for all we knew. He also could have weighed a buck 50. It doesn't talk about the weight. But they understood the importance of his presence. They understood the importance of getting him to the table no matter the cost. That they were willing to carry him regardless of the distance, regardless of his weight. They were willing to carry him so that they, he could get in front of Jesus. So that he could have a seat at the table. So that he could be in his presence. Can you imagine that conversation of the four men? Guys, I heard Jesus in, is in town. This man over here, he can't walk. But maybe if we could just get him in front of Jesus. What are we going to what are we going to do? They haven't invented wheelchairs yet. What are we going to do? Hey, let's carry him. Let's carry him. Sounds good to me. Let's carry him. Would you be here today if someone didn't fight for your life? If someone didn't take on the weight that you had? Would you be here today if the church operated on a three-strike rule? Would you be here today if someone didn't fight for your life? Would you be here? If the answer is no, then why aren't we fighting for those who have yet to come to the table? Who have yet to come into his presence? There's no three-strike rule with God. How often do we only go part of the way? You said they carried him. Doesn't really say the distance. They carried him. But then they saw that the house was full. They saw that the crowd was spilling out in front of the house. How many of us would have given up in that moment? Said, so, well, we got him here. 
I don't know what else to do. We literally can't get in the house. The door is jammed. There's no room to walk around. There's no room to get in. We did what we could, guys. Let's go home. How many of us have been in that position? I've gotten as far as I can, I can go. I've done every, I've invited as much as I could invite. What else can I do? We tried. Can you imagine if the story just ended there? Well, we took him there and we tried. God bless. Can you imagine this conversation? What do you think this conversation was? I think it was, I think it went something like this. Hey, I got an idea. I got an idea. It might cost us something, but I got an idea. Because they understood the importance of getting him in front of Jesus, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. See, back then in this time, the roofs were flat, and they had beams that were holding them up. And then in between the beams was called thatch. And in a lot of cases, thatch is made of mud or dirt and straw. But in this particular case, thatch mainly was made in this time of manure. Manure and straw. See, are you willing to dig through some crap to get people in front of Jesus, to get people a seat at the table, to dig through some dirt, to make a mess, but because you know that there's an importance of getting them a seat at the table, there's an importance in getting them in front of Jesus. Are you willing to dig through some crap? See, they understood him enough to know that he has to be in front of Jesus no matter the cost. He has to have a seat at the table no matter the cost. See, so often when we're in these moments, we think that God is something to be explained. But he is not something to be explained. He is someone to be experienced. And just like the gasoline, there's a difference between smelling it and having it in your tank. He is not something to be explained. At some point, yes, you might have to explain the different intricacies of the Bible. Yes, I'm not saying that. But when you're talking to people, it's not, he's not something to be explained. He's someone to be experienced. And we cannot forget the power of his presence. Going on, Mark 2 they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, seeing their faith. Whose faith? Wasn't the man's faith. Whoa. They destroyed that roof. They dug a hole. He said, seeing their faith. The man's faith? No, no, no. Looking up through the roof. They weren't even in the building. Seeing their faith. 
seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. It was the faith of them. It was the do whatever it takes faith. That brought salvation. That brought healing. It was the do whatever it takes faith. That brought restoration of life. That brought healing. That brought miracles. It was the do whatever it takes faith. Of the four men who weren't even in the building. But they said we must get him in front of Jesus. Mark 2. This is so good. Stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. I don't think you get it. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The man jumped up. He grabbed his mat. And he walked out. They couldn't get him in there. They couldn't get him in the building. But yet, he walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and they praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this before. See, when you're willing to do whatever it takes, those that you will have to carry in, through your own strength sometimes, through your own finances sometimes, through your own ability sometimes, through some crap that you might have to dig through, through some dirt that you might have to go through, they will be able to walk out into what God has for their lives. They couldn't walk in the door, but they are able to walk out in their future. Church, he has prepared a seat. He has prepared a dinner. He has prepared a banquet. And when we realize the power of his presence, when we realize the power of his presence, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Or did the very thing that saved you become an embarrassment, become? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? The table is set. Obviously, you can look around, there's still room. And when there's no more room, he will give us another table. He will expand the table. And there will be more room. He's already showed me buildings. They're not even for sale. But they will be. When there's no more room at the table. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? No matter the cost to dig through the manure. 
to dig through the crap, to dig through the dirt, to fill the table. Because he's prepared a feast. And he's saying, persuade them, bring them, no matter the cost. Fill the table, for the banquet is ready. I'm going to end with this story. story of a girl named Florence who grew up in the Depression. She grew up in a three-room house behind her father's store in Haverhill Hill, Massachusetts. It says, times were simple and our food was even simpler. The word gourmet had not yet entered common parlance. And our total pasta experience was heating up a can of Franco-American spaghetti. My mother's favorite meal was what she called the New England boiled dinner. Throw everything in a pot and boil it. Our only seasonings were salt and pepper. We'd never heard of sage or saffron. But then I married Fred, a restaurant manager in New York, and I had much to learn. He said, I hope you don't cook like your mother. He said, on our honeymoon of all places. Way to start it off strong. How else, I thought to myself. So Fred put me on an instant training program. I left my New England heritage behind and quickly moved from tapioca pudding to Grand Mariner souffles. When my mother visited, I would prepare unusual gourmet treats, feeling it was my job to expand her culinary horizons. During my mother's last years at a retirement hotel, she seemed to enjoy the bland food and simple surroundings. One day I asked her, how do you like it here? She replied, this is the nicest place I have ever lived. I could hardly believe it. Why? I asked. The first day I arrived, she said proudly, they assigned me my seat at the dining room table. They put me at the head of the table and they gave me the only chair with arms. Suddenly I realized that I had never put her at the head of the table or even cooked what she enjoyed. The next time I returned from a speaking engagement, I invited my mother over for the evening. I prepared a New England boiled dinner, her favorite, seated her at the head of the table and gave her the only chair with arms on it. And while I was on my next trip, my mother passed away peacefully in the night and I realized I had spent my entire life trying to change my mother instead of serving her. She had simple tastes and asked for so little, but it took me until the last month of her life to put her at the head of the table and give her the only chair with arms on it. May it be that we're trying to change people before we even give them a seat at the table. May it be that we're trying to give them the gourmet things that we already have instead of giving them something simple to enjoy at the head of the table with the only chair with arms. May it be. We are to become a do whatever it takes church. Like I said, this is not a message 
This is a mandate. Because there is still room at the table. There is still room at the head of the table. God, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you so much for who you are in our lives. Let us not be silent when we are able to share what you have given us and invite those who have not yet experienced your presence, who have not yet come to sit and dine at your table. God, we thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you for what you've done, how you brought us out, how you brought us through. God, we thank you. I pray that we accept this challenge, we accept this direction, we accept this mandate that's been set in front of us. Lord, that you would place people in front of me, even this very week, wherever it may be, that I wouldn't just walk by, that we wouldn't just walk by, but that we would share with them what you have already given us. So God, we thank you. We praise you. Hey, if you are in here today, this is your first time at church. You say, I, I don't have this relationship that you're talking about. If you are here today, if your eyes are still closed, I don't want to take and pass by this moment without offer, offering you an opportunity to start this walk with Jesus. It's a walk. That means not everything changes in this moment, but that it's a walk, that you walk it out, that you walk it through, that we walk it through together as a community, step by step, arm in arm. So I want to give you this opportunity. If you haven't yet started this walk, if you haven't yet started this relationship, don't let this moment go by. If you're in here today and say, Matt, I want to start this walk. I want to start this relationship. If you would, everybody's heads are bowed. All the eyes are closed. If you would, just raise your hand in this place. If there's anybody. Yes. I see that hand. Give you 30 more seconds. If there's anybody in this place, I want to know God. I want to have a relationship with him. 10 more seconds. If there's anybody in this place. Church, if you would, repeat after me. We're going to say this together. Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died on the cross and rose again for me. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. Please forgive me. Come into my heart. Give me a brand new start. And I thank you 
that you now live in me. And I will follow you all of my days. Come on, church, let's rejoice in this place. Let's thank him in this place. Someone just started this journey. God, we thank you. We seal this moment. We seal this time right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to see God in a real way. For more information about Poema Church, visit poemachurch.ca.